Welcome to Sundial. I'm Carlos Frias. We're bringing in a prophet who will help us see into the future. If it sounds like the makings of a movie, good, because we're talking movies today with film critic Rene Rodriguez. Rene's the director of the Cosford Cinema at the University of Miami. He was also one of the industry's leading film critics for more than 25 years. He's always on top of all the big movies and all the big issues in film these days. Sure, we'll talk Barbenheimer, the phenomenon of polar opposite movies, Barbie and Oppenheimer, opening at the same time. But we'll also talk about smaller movies, surprise movies, and why some Oscar contenders seem to come out of the blue, including some movies that don't hit theaters until this month. It's a good time to talk film. Sunday's Golden Globe Awards can be an indicator of which films will win more awards and what that might mean for Oscar nominations handed out at the end of the month. So let's talk movies with my buddy and former Miami Herald colleague, Rene Rodriguez. Welcome back to the show. You're a friend of the program now, right? Thanks for having me, Carlos. And yes, I am officially a friend of the program, so I, I expect some kind of plaque. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I have, I have a plaque for you right in uh, right over the toilet in the bathroom. It's going to be like, this is reserved for Rene Rodriguez. I'll this take spot. it. I'll take it. <laughs> no, I mean, I think that this is a fun time um, to, to think about movies because, yeah, it's end of the year, but then this month is interesting because we have the Golden Globes, which is both movies and TV, film and TV, and then that kind of is a little bit maybe of like a of like a flag about what what Oscar nominations are going to look like uh, at the end of January. So I just thought it was a fun time to to talk movies and and really kind of the things that we might have missed and 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 there are always movies when I look at that list that I think there are half these movies I I didn't even hear about, much less uh, see in the theater. Um, so um, talk to me a little bit about. Um, I think the most interesting, one of the most interesting is that there's always some controversy this week, right? Like in the weeks leading up to the nominations where like everybody's greedily looking for bits of information, right? Like what, what is this time like for you when you're, when you're paying attention to what movies are going to get uh, some awards, you know? Yeah, no, it's an old ha- uh, practice, which is um, as the nominations get closer, there are smear campaigns against movies, um, and and this is this is traditional. This is what the publicists. That's do. so dirty. Yeah, and so what they're trying to do is they're trying to, you know. So for example, I'm sure you're going to read. There, there have already been pieces written about this, but I'm sure you're going to read more pieces about how Killers of the Flower Moon should have been made by a native. American filmmaker and not Martin Scorsese. Yeah, I saw that. I saw that even like that weekend that came out. There were folks who I I, I happen to follow that have some kind of uh, Native American or American Indian descent, and they were like, "I wouldn't even watch this film because of the the prism that you know that it's coming through." Which I can see both sides of that argument. You know? Well, and in the case of that movie, the book is about the creation of the FBI. So the book is told through the perspective of the FBI agent, who's played by Jesse Plemons in the movie. And the book unfolds through his eyes. Um, what Martin Scorsese and screenwriter Eric Roth is, when they decided to adapt the book, they quickly made the decision that, no, this can't be a story about the FBI white agent coming to investigate this. This has to be about this community. And the reason why the movie is so long, it's like three hours and 35 minutes, three hours and 40 minutes, is because he devotes a lot of scenes to depicting the lives of the Native American tribe um, that was in Osage County. Um, And there are a lot of scenes of them just existing, talking. Um, That whole sequence when they go to Washington, D.C., 
um, to protest um, against, you know, and the fact that they were being systematically murdered. Mm. Um, there's a lot in the movie um, that addresses that. And of course, Lily Gladstone um, is one of the odds-on favorite to win the Oscar for Best Actress. See, you went right to the heavy stuff for me because, like, for me, like the the controversy that caught my attention was that um, not the 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 Barbie movie, Barbie, um, was accepted only as an adapted screenplay by the Oscars. Right? It was not ad- uh, accepted as an original screenplay. Which is, uh, talk to me about that because what's what's the nuance there? Because to me, it seems like there's nothing to build on other than Barbie toys exist, right? Yeah, no, and it is a completely original screenplay and it's a, a pretty great screenplay um, if you think about what that could have turned out to be. But they're using established properties. So in other words, the audience is in on the joke from the minute the movie starts. Oh, they know it's going to be a, we, a riff on an established thing. We know what Barbie is we know who Ken is, um, like we know all these things. So it's not an original idea. So they're they're adapting a product, a doll, and turning it into a movie. Now the reason why this doesn't happen more often is because most movies based on video games or toys do not get Oscar nominations. Um, right, right. Like 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 they just don't. Um, so Barbie's an exception. But yeah, like they didn't come up with the idea for that movie whole cloth they already had a lot of elements to work with. Right, I get what you're saying. I, I still, it's really interesting to me because that whole storyline, the fact of it is is so unique and so original that uh, I think it just fits into that category. Plus, it, it gave me this one moment and this one song that I just can't get out of my head. You know, there's a rumor that he's going to perform it at the Oscars. No, I keep I keep hearing that. Yeah, and like I, that song, literally, I I'm like performing like I'm like Axl Rose, you know, singing like uh, uh, what is it was November Rain when right. I'm thinking when that's that's what I embody when I'm hearing that song, and it's like maybe Oppenheimer, you know, like maybe it needed a. Maybe it needed a, a, a sequence like that, you know? I'm just Rob. I wish I hadn't invented that bomb. Right, no? No? <laughs> you know, I think it would change the movie a little bit, but listen, every movie benefits from a musical number, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, like, those movies opening the same weekend, right? Like, it was it was so discordant, right? And I, I feel like I need a supercut of, of Barbie, uh, uh, Barbie and Ken misplaced in each other universes. Talk to me about that. When do you remember something like that happening before, where two, one that was totally serious and something that was, fr- let's say, frivolous, even though the the story is is has weight and has matter. No, I don't think that has ever happened again. And um, it was fascinating, you know, to see all the pieces line up because you had a summer season where you already had had, you know, the Mission Impossible movie, which is actually really good, um, opened the week before Barbie Oppenheimer. And they usually get IMAX screens, but Universal Pictures had already booked all the IMAX screens for Oppenheimer. Um, so Mission oh, Impossible so that hurt Mission Impossible. It hurt Mission Impossible big time. Plus, no one went to see Mission Impossible because you already knew what it was. Um, what was unique about Barbie and Oppenheimer is that they were completely 
new movies like you had you had never seen these stories before right like there's no like there's no Oppenheimer 2 coming up right there's no Oppenheimer 2 and Chris Nolan you know you can't underestimate the Chris Nolan factor right of uh, Oppenheimer the director and creator of, yeah, of Oppenheimer co- correct um, anything that he makes gains mainstream attention um, the only one of his movies ever since he became Christopher Nolan that flopped was Tenet and it's because they released it in the middle of a pandemic um, you so, think that's why that movie flopped, or is it because it was a little too esoteric with people? People just didn't show up, right? Mm. So it wasn't a matter of people rejecting the mm. movie, and I didn't like it either. Um, I think it's his weakest film, but people just didn't show up. It was too soon. Like it, it was too soon, like dur- during the pandemic, and um, he was so mad at Warner Brothers, which had been a long time home, that he switched studios. All so. right. Well, let's talk about some of those in, in like. Kind of broad strokes, strokes both. Let's give the movie nerds something like you've done, but let's give us non-movie nerds because I, I didn't see uh, a lot of. It's funny, I Oppenheimer is a movie that I keep hearing is that's a movie you need to see in a theater. Me, I saw Barbie on a plane coming back from Spain after a vacation, and I saw Oppenheimer on my big screen at home, and that movie had this this effect where it ended, and I sat quietly for about half an hour. And then I watched it again, mm. and I I had never done and I've never done that really with a movie, and I've never done it with a movie that's three hours, you know. Mm. Um, what and and t- talk to me about this because there's that element like it starts and there's like this. Um, it reminded me of um, of Terrence Malick's Tree of Life, like at the beginning where it's like the birth of the universe and it's kind of like what is going on here. You see moving figures and pictures and whatever, and it was it was this uh, meeting of like something very artistic. And also uh, a gripping story, mm-hmm. you know. Um, what it, what what was it about that movie that, that you think went beyond like a biography picture? You know, it's 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 funny you say that because I that's the first movie I've seen since I can remember that I paid to go see it at the theater twice, and I saw it in IMAX. Um, and the IMAX experience, yes, like the movie is still the movie, but. Um, it's an unusual movie to ch- shoot in 70 millimeter IMAX because most of it is just talking heads. Um, and that's the genius of Nolan. It didn't take that long to make uh, because it really doesn't have that many special effects. It's, it's mostly just dialogue heavy. Um, and I wanted to see it again because of the alternating timelines. You know, it takes you about 15 or so minutes in the movie to kind of get your bearings. And I had a lot, I just wanted to see it again. And like you said, on second viewing, it's just as riveting because there's so much information. Maybe more so because it's such an information dump and somebody will mention somebody's name and you'll miss it the first time out, but then the next time it, it resonates in a different way. And Robert Downey Jr., I had. To, I think it was like five minutes in where I'm like, oh my God, that's Robert Downey Jr. It's the, first so, time, it's the first time we've seen him act yeah. like, in such I a mean, long time. He still does that, that kind of like herky-jerky move here and there, that, mm-hmm. that kind of uh, Brad Pitt and 12 Monkeys kind of like herky-jerky movement, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so you see it's still, it's still him in, inhabiting the person, but really like incredible job of makeup and everything else. Okay. And he turns out to be the villain, which is... Is that, is that a mild spoiler? No, this is history. Okay. You can't spoil Oppenheimer. It's uh, it's history. It, it, it all happened. So. That's true. That is very true. There's nothing there that uh, that, that you're going to be uh, that is that has not been told in one way or the other. Yeah. Um, you know, we were talking about Barbie earlier, and and um, we were just kind of in our pre pregame meeting uh, before the show, talking about how this movie, really headed by two women, Greta Gerwig and uh, Margot Robbie, moved GDPs last year. Right. Like whole countries. GDPs were affected because of the the gross of this movie. 
Why do you think it had that kind of appeal? Why why does it have that kind of appeal? I think the first audiences that went to see it on like th that opening week um, loved it, and the word of mouth on that movie was unlike anything that I can remember in terms of that kind of film. Mm -hmm. Like you have to see this movie, and so people went, and it's a fantastic film. Um, it's it's so much better than it has any right to be. Um, Greta Gerwig uh, co-wrote the screenplay with her husband Noah Baumbach, who's also a filmmaker. I'm not a fan of Noah Baumbach. I find him like to be like Wes Anderson without a sense of humor, and and I feel like this movie is the missing like that m little missing piece that that I that for me is movies haven't spoken to, you know. Well, that's probably the like the Gerwig factor, you mm -hmm. know, the Greta Gerwig factor. But Greta Gerwig, I mean, her career is just so extraordinary um, in terms of how. If you look at how she has progressed, and she became, she started as an actress, right? And like not famous, she started making. Um, I was watching Greenberg the other day, which is this movie with Robert Downey with uh, with um, uh, ben, ben Stiller, um, okay, about a guy who's going through like a midlife crisis, and she's in that movie. She's fantastic in that film, um, and she just basically worked her way up, and she started making films and writing first writing and then writing and directing, and the talent is just extraordinary. And she still works as an actress. So, um, you know, she's kind of one of a kind. And the fact that Barbie became such a huge phenomenon kind of caught everyone by surprise because it doesn't tick off the usual boxes of that. It has to appeal to teenage boys, you know, has to have action in it. Um, it's it's based on a girly doll, you know. And, um, and it's just such a, it, it just goes to show you that this year that happened, that imagination and creativity when it comes to Barbie and Oppenheimer, which doesn't always happen, but with those movies, people really responded to them. I also got to give, we also have to give a shout out, obviously, to, to, to Ryan Gosling, who played that role like, uh, like uh, Michael Caine did the Muppets movie. Like he's like, I'm going to seriously play Ken without any wink to the audience. And it's like, I think that makes it um, so fun to watch that he, he took that. He took it as seriously as he took, you know, uh, uh, anything else, you know. He, he really commits to the role, and I think that's very important because another actor might have been like, well, you know, I'm just going to be winking at the camera the whole time. Right. And, um, and he doesn't do that. He's 100% invested, and he's such a great actor. I mean, he's so funny. Um, he's known primarily for his dramas and intense films, but Ryan Gosling is a comedic uh, actor as well. Uh, crazy stupid love the nice guys like, he's very funny so his casting in barbie was just ideal and his and his um his performance in that movie there's kind of like musical number in there that i'm sure that that's what the oscars are looking forward to our guest today is renee rodriguez he's a former film critic for the miami herald and he manages the cosford cinema at um uh, we're talking movies today both what we missed in 2023 and kind of what we're looking forward to in 2024 but Let's talk about some of those movies that flew a bit under the radar. So talk to me about, uh, well, I guess I guess that in, in particular. What are movies that, that maybe are now in discussions for Oscars that some of us probably have maybe have not even heard of yet? That happened with several movies, and the reason for it is um, the streamers, Amazon, Apple TV, um, Netflix, and Netflix, uh, like they're really putting money into these movies. Um, to attract people to subscribe. So they'll mm -hmm. give them like a theatrical release, but it's not as big a theatrical release as uh, a Hollywood studio would give like Aquaman. So you kind of, they're basically driven by word of mouth. Right. And 
they're already available to view because they were made for streaming. So they, they're kind of using the theatrical runs just as an advertisement, but they don't need to make like $100 million. So a really good example of that is Saltburn, which is uh, uh, the new movie by writer-director Emerald Fennell, who, who won a, a screenplay Oscar for Promising Young Woman. Oh, okay. Wow, that movie was disturbing, <clears throat> Promising Young Woman. It yeah. was very disturbing, and so is this one, <laughs> but in a, in a very different way. And... Um, yeah, you know, it's it's a really simple tale about this this kid um, in in college, and I think it, they're Ox, Oxford, mm. who who accepts an invitation from his rich friend to spend the holidays, to spend the summer at his parents' home, mm. which is a mansion. Um, so it's it's a very simple premise. Um, it has three scenes in it that you will never forget. Oh my god! And. The way you that you're know, saying that with your eyes makes me makes me scary because makes me scared because you've seen a lot of movies. Well, you'll know when you see them. Like there's no questioning. That, like there's 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 no questioning uh, when the scenes are, and it's things things that I had never seen in a movie before. Wow. E- even though it's a character uh, based drama, but um, but the movie has such a warped sense of humor. It's very tense. It's f- extremely well written. Very well acted. Um, it, it has a lot to say about class differences. Um, and it actually pokes fun. Some people have criticized the movie for saying that it celebrates um, British aristocracy, you know, and like the the, the upper classes, um, because the the character who comes from a middle class isn't a good guy necessarily. Mm. Um, but I don't think that's what the movie is doing at all. I think the movie is poking fun at that strata of society, and I think the the characters in the movie um, don't think of themselves as you know, bad people. Well, but, no, no good villain ever does, right? Well, it, it's just that they're not villains. It's that their conversations mm-hmm. are just like hilariously, you know, bird-brained. Right, you know? right, um, right. It's a really, really fun movie. Um, it's an, it's really enjoyable. And it, like I said, it takes some twists that um, you won't see coming. Let me ask you about, uh, is there a, an issue where some movies are re- are released only to the Academy and to critics, like in the month of December, like to get them into the cycle, and most folks don't have a chance to see them, and and that they get some kind of nomination, right? So every movie has to have a one week run mm. in New York and Los Angeles to be considered for the Academy. Awards. Oh, really? Right. So what they'll do with some movies, and the Zone of Interest is one of them, is they'll open it in New York and LA in one theater. And then they wait until all the awards start coming out, all the nominations start coming out, and then when they release it to to regular theaters, um, they they can say nominated for five Oscars. Um, the zone of interest. Oh, that's so that's so sneaky. Yeah, well, no, but it, it helps because other it helps get these movies uh, seen and and stand out from the pack. Um, the zone of interest is an is a American movie. It's directed by Jonathan Glazer. Who, who makes specializes in very strange uh, movies like uh, what? Give me uh, Birth with Nicole Kidman, um, which um, involves a grown woman falling in love with her six-year-old son. Oh boy! Okay, yeah, I think I heard I heard an ew coming from the other room, and I I'm okay with that. And then he made okay um, he made Under the Skin, which starred Scarlett Johansson as an alien from another planet who feeds on men that she picks up. Um, it's a fantastic movie. The Zone of Interest has a really simple premise. It's about a family, a German family, who live right next door to a concentration camp. 
like literally like they share a wall. Oh, I have I have heard little bits about <clears throat> this, right. Yeah, and the father is the commander of a concentration camp and he's constantly getting promoted because he keeps coming up with better ways to kill the prisoners, like more efficient. Um, and but the but wow. the movie never goes into the concentration camp. It's only set at the house. Wow. And every once in a while you'll hear a firing squad um, in the background you'll see the smoke billowing up from the chimneys. But it's really a study of this family. Wow. Um, it's remarkable. It, it, it doesn't have much of a plot, um, per se, but um, I was watching that movie and I was riveted. Right, because we know the plot. It's, it's yeah. World War II and it's the Holocaust, right? Yeah. And, and you told know, in, a different, in a totally different, uh, totally different way. And, and, and people say, I posted about it on Facebook and someone posted, oh, how many movies do we need about the Holocaust? Like, you know, enough already. You know, it doesn't matter how many movies there have been about the Holocaust. It's if you have a good story to tell that happens to be around the Holocaust, you should by all means tell it. Also, do all the movies about the Holocaust. Let's, yes. Let's not forget, right? Yep. Let's and, do all the movies. And Zone of Interest has a completely different perspective on it. Um, it, it shows you how... You know, and it answers that question of how German people were able to carry on with their lives knowing what was happening. Um, right, you know, like, right. Like it's this idea that, that the Nazis weren't just uh, guys wearing stripes, or, you know, weren't soldiers and politicians. They were uh, insurance salesmen. And, uh, you know, the, they worked at the post office and what have you. And, right. And that kind of insidiousness. That's interesting. That's right. Yeah. That's I, a fantastic movie. I, I'm I'm looking at uh, it's funny because I was looking at the New York Times list of what they think is like potential winners is the Cal Buchanan's list, um, and in that list was a movie Society of the Snow, uh, and it that actually releases today on Netflix. Uh, it's available on Netflix today, and I had to do some quick uh, googling. That that movie is based on a book called I Had to Survive, by uh, partly written by Dr. Robert Canessa, and I translated the English version of wow. that book. Um, so I was I was immediately like I remember doing that translation and, and being like so engrossed in this this idea and it's basically the story of the Uruguayan uh, rugby team in the 1970s whose plane crashes in the Andes and it's presumed lost and these people are up there for um, almost three months until this young man who's uh, and another person 19 years old he's a medical an aspiring medical student. Um, and I mean, they have to they have to resort to even the cannibalism to stay alive because they're above the tree line where anything can live, and he has to hike his way out of the Andes to save these people. It's a remarkable story, and that guy's now a, a physician. He does a uh, he does cardiac surgeries on babies that have not been born yet, like they're still oh, wow. in utero. Like that guy's talking about uh, uh, a guy who has a real appreciation for life. So it's movies like that that I see that are dropping now. And I'm thinking, this is already nominated for an Oscar. How did this happen? You know, right? And you know, I'm really curious about that movie because there have been two other movies already made. Alive. Uh, about, which... um, well, the first one was Survive. Survive with an exclamation mark. And um, I believe it, it was a Mexican production, a Mexican film production, um, and that was made in like '72, I think. And then Alive, which was made with Ethan Hawke, um, but uh, that was a, a Disney. It was a studio owned by Disney, and so the movie was very, you know, careful to not be too upsetting, that kind of thing. So I'm really curious to see this one because um, I'm curious to see what it shows, what uh, perspective it shows right. that we haven't already seen. Right. I hear that this one is a little bit more, uh, it, it gets into the more nitty-gritty details of what it means to mm -hmm. have been trapped in the, you know, 
above an area where no trees grow and then there's a tree line, you know, and, and trying to survive in that. <laughs> um, what are some other um, other movies that we should like pay attention to? Obviously, we, we talked about the big ones. What are other ones that you that you really love? Like, man, if you have to because I you were mentioning your Facebook page and I love uh, your Facebook posts are like little mini reviews mm -hmm. of movies and they spark these great conversations online. So folks should find that Rene Rodriguez on Facebook. Those are public posts. Yeah. Right? Yep. Yeah. So so get in there and uh, and, and uh, you can see some of his some of his thoughts. So uh, talk to me about that. Some of the other ones that we should put on our list. Right now, the one that I'm super passionate about, and I think it just opened, um, I, I believe it just opened in theaters, is called Poor Things. And it's the new film by Yorgos Lanthimos, who's a Greek filmmaker who started making Greek movies and then he, he switched to English language movies. He made The Favorite, uh, which won Olivia Colman an Oscar. Um, the, the, the Favorite was about two women were competing to win the love of the queen. Mm. So the favorite, um, he made Killing of a Sacred Deer. Oh, wow. Um, he made um, uh, The Lobster, which is... Oh, okay, so now you've definitely put us in the mind, in, <clears throat> in the frame of mind because The Lobster is very much, uh, uh, what would you, uh, experimental, but really like more of a, a he, esoteric movie. He makes movies that are not necessarily like you know, real movies, and this movie is just like <laughs> that, that. are not real movies. Well, they're, they're, I love the lobster too, by the way. <laughs> no, no, me too. Yeah. Uh, Connie Ogle loves the lobster. No, uh, she doesn't. Yes, yeah, she does. Does it's, she really? It's one of her favorite movies. Oh, wow. Okay, um, I did not expect that. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> but um, in Poor Things... Oh, I should say Connie Ogle is a buddy of ours, yes. and she's now the food editor at the Miami Herald. Yes. But she, at one point in her long Herald history, you guys reviewed movies together. Yes. Like, like you would give her the movies that you didn't necessarily want to see, right? Yes. No, it worked out great, because she loved all those British period dramas, you know, and... Um, and um, she liked Adam Sandler movies. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you don't love Adam Sandler movies? Wow, the long um, silence. That I like silence. I like Punch Drunk Love. I really like Uncut Gems. Uncut Gems, I think, is a masterpiece. It's like it's on Netflix, but his comedies, yeah, you know. Um, but Poor Things is it. is about this this young woman played by Emma Stone, who is basically created. She's basically a Frankenstein monster. Um, the scientist plays played by uh, Willem Dafoe puts. A child's brain inside her head um, as a way to reanimate her and so she comes back to life she's a grown woman but um, she she only has the thought process and capacities of like a two-year-old I'm thinking of uh, the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt <laughs> <laughs> well this one takes it in, in, in very very different directions and um, and it's set in like this near future um, so like you don't really know where, like what time frame um, it's existing, but it's definitely in the future somewhere. Right. Or maybe on another planet. It's, it's quite possible. <laughs> in the near future or another planet? But, but poor Things is, is phenomenal. Um, it starts off in black and white until she leaves the lab, and then it turns into like this radiant color. Um, and she, you know, it's, it's about her adventures as she's becoming. A woman. Oh, very, very Wizard of Oz kind of. Uh, yes, but remember, thing. but remember, her her mental capacity is that of a child at odds with her body. Mm. So you could see where that would lead to. You have that problem, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. I do actually. <laughs> well, that's okay. But but that part that I mean, you're you're not just a serious guy. Like the part that you love fun movies is is I know one of the reasons that you loved all the Spider Verse movies to date. And that was honestly one of my favorite movies this year. One of the it's most fantastic. It's and fantastic. it's and it's not just well made. It's a moving 
film. You know, you really are touched by that movie, you know? Yeah. The arc of that character. Now, Phil Lord's a buddy of yours. He won't come on our show uh, yet. Yet. If you're listening, Phil, we, we'd love to have you on. He's a Miami guy. Yeah. Um, yeah who's the creator of that. Born and raised um, in Miami. And, you know, the, the, the interesting thing about that movie is the first film, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, was so groundbreaking and unique. And they used animation in a way that we, we hadn't seen it before. They won an Oscar... Uh, he and Chris Miller, who was his creative partner, um, they won an Oscar for that film. And then you come see Across the Spider-Verse, and it's like they've ratcheted it up, up without ever being off-putting. Right, uh, like they didn't, um, I thought, how are they going to, I thought it would just, they would match the look and feel of that first movie. And it did, but then it did all kinds of extra things that right. that I can't even put my finger on. Right. But in ways that it that it felt like the other version felt much more like a beta version. Right. Once you go back and see, like, oh my God, they did the animators in that show in that movie, which number into the many hundreds. Right. Uh, have talked about what a lift it was to create something, uh, you know, built on something that was created whole cloth. You know. Right. Yeah. No. It's a, it's literally like a, a new kind of animation. And there's another animated movie that came out already uh, called The Boy and the Heron. And it's mm. by Miyazaki, who is the king of Japanese animation. He won an Oscar for Spirited Away, which is a movie that is just mind-blowing. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's one of the great animated movies of Spirited Away. Of all time. Yeah. You know, he made Howl's Moving Castle, Princess Mononoke. He has made so many. And so this was supposed to be his his last film because he, he's he's getting up there. Um, but um, and again, it's a fantasy. Ponyo it, was another one of his. Ponyo, Ponyo was. My kids was, and I love that one. That I gave it four stars. Yeah. Oh, look at that. <laughs> but um, but yeah, but the boy and the heron. It's this one's rated PG thirteen um, because it skews a little bit older. It's not necessarily kiddie friendly. Mm. Um, it's kid friendly in twelve year olds and stuff like that. But the but the themes that he's dealing with, you know, the loss of a parent, um, you know striking out on your own, um, finding your own destiny, um, are more adult in theme, you yeah. know. Um, and, and the animation is beautiful, but it's not necessarily a story that's going to necessarily en entertain kids. Mm. Um, but that's a fantastic movie, and it's playing in theaters now. And it's going to be between that and Across the Spider-Verse, for, like for the Oscar. Um, like those are the two movies to beat for best animated feature. Right. And Across the Spider-Verse is the middle of, there's another one we're waiting for. They, they'd originally predicted maybe for this spring, but it sounds like that's going to no, get pushed back like, a little like bit. No, like the strike, the director strike, the actor, like that pushed every, like everything back. So how um, did, how did the, I mean, you're really plugged into that. How have you seen the strike affect both like schedules of movies that we've seen or, or movies getting made altogether because of, you know, sometimes you only have that one window, I guess, for certain writers and th the, the the magic to come together, right. to the, the necessary money and creativity to come together to make a movie. Right? Did anything did anything disappear? Or, well, or everything we was lose? everything was put on pause. Mm. But the problem was that as the strike stretched on, the studio started thinking, "We're not going to have movies for next spring." So, for example, Doom Part Two, which was supposed to open the first Friday in November got pushed to, I think, February or March. Um, and so they pushed it because they wanted to have a big movie to release in, in the spring. Um, there were a couple of them. Craven, uh, The Hunter, which is a Marvel Comics uh, thing, got, got pushed to next year. Mm. Like, there were a bunch of things that got bumped off right. the fall release late. And that's why um, this fall you have had movies like Killers of the Flower Moon playing for so long in, in movie theaters because the studio, the theaters didn't have anything else um, to play 
um, in, in terms of like big box office. Right. Our guest today is Rene Rodriguez. He's a former film critic for the Miami Herald, and now he manages the Cosford Cinema at UM. So, of course, you're plugged into movies, and, and it's great to talk with you about, um, you know, kind of like where the state of movies are, but also like what we're loving, you know. I, I'm also curious about what we're hating. Like, uh, are there movies that, that you're you're done with? Like, what was, what was the worst thing you saw last year? You're like, I can't believe... How did this get made type of thing? Like, you can't believe that got made. So I don't see as many bad movies as I used to because I used to have to watch everything, right? Oh, they as made you go watch the Adam Sandler movies. Yes, movies. exactly. Whereas now... No Jack and Jill fan? You're not a... <clears throat> <laughs> you don't... <laughs> you had to clear your throat before you said it. My kids made me watch Jack and Jill. I reviewed Jack and Jill. No, and, you did um, Yes, I, I reviewed Jack and Jill. Why? And Just so you could crush it? I'm going to pull it out of the Herald Archives so you can read it. Um, because Stop doing that. That's one of those movies You're that always I hated. sending me these old. I hated that movie so much, and and I didn't understand why they had even screened it. Like, did they think? I will say this: uh, you don't mess with a Zohan. That's a really good. That's a really fun Adam Sandler comedy. Okay, if you say so. You didn't like it. I I stopped. I mean, I'm down with the Water Boy. I'm down with like the uh, you know kind of the outsider making making his way in. I like that. I like the Happy Gilmore. But uh, I can't. I I couldn't get down with "Don't Mess with the Zohan." Once he starts doing his crazy Adam Sandler voices, I think that's what bothered me so much about Jack and Jill when he does his voice like oh as a God. woman is is uh, is horrific. All right, yeah. so so what? So you don't see that many movies that that you're. Not I will tell you one. Them. I will tell you one that I watched out of curiosity that I hated. Um, <coughs> and it was uh, the new Exorcist movie. The Exorcist Believer. Oh, they rebooted that into like a, a more gory no, version. Or it's something. not it's not oh. rebooted. It's a sequel. Oh. It's a sequel to the original Exorcist. Oh, um, to like Where is Reagan Now type of thing? Well, not Where is Reagan Now, but um, it's basically the premise is very simple. This time it's two little girls who get possessed by the devil. And uh, they bring back Ellen Burstyn, who played Linda Blair's mother in the, in the original Exorcism, oh. to kind of help out uh, with the Exorcist. And there may be a cameo by Linda Blair. I'm not saying there isn't. I'm not saying there is. Okay, you're saying there is. I got but it. But there might be one. Okay. Um, and you watch that movie, and there's, you know, I, I watched it because I couldn't believe how empty of ideas it was and how bereft. And David Gordon Green is a really talented filmmaker who, um, he made Pineapple Express. He made All the Pretty Girls. He made um, George Washington. And then he started making horror movies, like he like he did the Halloween reboots, all three of them. And the, there were three. Oh yes, there were three. <laughs> and there was, and they ran out of. Obviously, they had no idea what to do with Michael Myers by the third one. So, and he's not in the movie until like the last half hour. It's about this new kid who's trying to become Michael Myers, and you're watching this, and you're like, "What? What is happening?" Right? Yeah. But he sold out, and then um, <laughs> uh, they paid. Universal Pictures paid. An astonishing amount of money for the rights to The Exorcist. Um, I can't remember how much because it was. it's such an iconic thing. Like my my sixteen year old right. went back and watched The Exorcist, and she was like, "Not scary." Right. <laughs> She's like, <laughs> yeah, "Not it's, scary." It's, it's not scary today. Um, but yeah, but this movie was just atrocious. And David Gordon Green has announced that he's going to go back to making smaller, movies that don't suck, smaller independent films, which is <laughs> which is good, you know, because he, he's a textbook case of what happens to a really talented filmmaker who gets, he starts making all this money and you can't blame him. You know, you can't blame him for wanting to make a lot of money. Right. But you can blame him because he's sacrificed his art uh, at the altar of greed and worship. 
So yes, I totally blame David Gordon Green for selling out, <laughs> but I'm really eager to see what, what he makes next. Right. Um, I'm trying to think of any other really bad movies that I saw this year, but um, I can't think of any. You know, one really surprising movie um, that I saw was directed by Guy Ritchie, who is not known necessarily for uh, making good movies. He, like, he made a lot of action movies. Um, he made this movie called The Covenant. I saw that. I saw that's on uh, one of the streaming services yeah, right now. Yeah, it's streaming now. And it's uh, Jake Gyllenhaal um, plays a, a, a military captain whose uh, squad gets ambushed in Afghanistan, I think it, it was, right? Afghanistan. And so he and his translator have to walk, make this trip of like 250 miles to the extraction point, And he gets severely wounded um, on the way there. Um, it's a fantastic movie. It's 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 a really taught, very focused film, um, it and, it, and it's and it's built on a lot of reporting. Like uh, we've we've yeah. heard on uh, I want to say Radiolab did a whole series on on translators in in the Middle East uh, that have been working with U.S. troops who then who then uh, you know whose lives are in danger because right. they're considered traitors and what have you, and then the U.S. in a lot of cases left a lot of folks out you know kind right. of the, hang out in the breeze right that's right um and folks who've been waiting on visas to get into the country right and it was built on like i i as i was hearing that i felt something very current events about it mm-hmm. um, which i thought was really which felt different it wasn't like a timeless movie it felt like it really spoke to now it, yeah it definitely speaks to now and it's so well made it's so well directed it's kind of it doesn't look anything like guy Ritchie's other movies um but that was a big surprise for me um, in terms of like, um, and that's one that I watched at home. Right. And see, and that's interesting too, because I'm, you know, we're, we're all watching movies at home now more than we, more than we ever have, you know, because it's so easy, because frankly, you can buy a big cheap TV, you know, uh, and sit close enough to it and you get kind of a theatrical feel to it. Um, no, you don't. Okay. I was going to say, how does that affect you? I mean, you obviously manage the Cosford Theater, which is a beautiful theater at the University of Miami and it's getting all kinds of um, video and audio upgrades um, to show off to show off new films. Um, what what is the state of, of movies in theaters, and and how do you convince people that there is still that that is still the home for for actual it, film? It has to be a movie that has buzz. It has to be a movie that attracts like a lot of attention. Um, if you had told me last year that Top Gun Maverick was going to gross a billion dollars, I would have said you're crazy. I had no interest in seeing Top Gun Maverick. I mean, I just, I just, it's a sequel to Top Gun, what, 25, 30 years later? Mm-hmm. I had zero interest. And then the movie opens huge, and the word of mouth on it is really good, and it gets really good reviews. And what did you think of it? So I went to see it. Uh, I went to see it at a matinee. Oh, you only saw it after it got some, like, oh, people are saying this the is first not terrible. Week, like, like the first week. Well, yeah. no, there was such a buzz about it, mm-hmm. and it had, like, this astonishing opening weekend. And so I was curious, you know, and um, I, I, I do not like Top Gun. I think Top Gun is such a terrible movie. Wow. Um, but I, went I to will see say, it. we, my kids and I, before we saw it, we went back and saw the original. Yikes. And we both, I was like, you guys are going to love this. And we all looked at each other and I was like, yeah, I'm sorry about that. That was, <laughs> that, that was not good writing. That was no. bad. That was bad. That's a movie best left to memory. Yeah, um, like it's best remembered. Yes. you do need to revisit it. But I went to see Top Gun Maverick, and I went to see it at a, a twelve o'clock matinee, and the place was packed. Wow, at noon, and it was packed with people my age who had seen the first Top well, like Gun. Like seventy five. 
Maybe maybe closer to 45. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. maybe closer to 45. Yeah, right, wishful thinking. Right. Uh, <laughs> but, and it's fantastic. Top Gun Maverick was a fantastic movie. Um, it's really fun. So it still shows you that if you make a good movie, people will come out. Um, the, 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 the big hit this Christmas season is not Aquaman, um, which... I didn't even, I honestly didn't even know there was another Aquaman. Yeah, no, it's, um, it's, it tanked. Um, the Color Purple is doing okay. Which is a musical version of... It's an, it's an adaptation of the Broadway musical. Um, it's doing fine, but the runaway hit is Wonka um, with Timothy Chalamet as... as runaway hit? Yes, wow. it is the number one movie of the Christmas season. It, it won the Christmas season, um, as they say. And Who's your favorite Wonka at this point? I mean, we have nostalgia for Gene, uh, for Gene, Gene Wilder. Gene Wilder. I haven't yeah. seen the new Wonka, but no, Timothy Chalamet, like, he's a child. Right. Uh, Gene Wilder is Willy Wonka. Yeah. And and with Gene he's Wilder, a twisted, broken man. Yes, like what he did so well in that movie. <laughs> he was, was like a candy Elon scary. Musk. He was like a. Do you remember the sequence in the tunnel when they go into the tunnel and there's a close up? Of a chicken getting its head cut off? I don't remember that. Yes, it's, like, I remember seeing that as a kid and saying, what the... <laughs> what is like, happening I, here? I was really scared. Um, it's a very dark movie. Um, it is. So, um, but yeah, but, you know, um, Hollywood had the most profitable year this year since 2019. Wow, uh, the, wow. There was $9.05 billion in ticket sales. So it shows you that the movies are back and it shows you that, that audiences, you know, will turn out for them. Um, and with this new platform, because people keep talking about the death of movies and movies and movies, but no, if if with the with the presence of these streamers, who can, you know, afford to take a chance on a movie that a regular studio wouldn't finance because they're not going to make their money back, mm. they release it to theaters, and so they're giving Martin Scorsese these crazy budgets. They're giving Ridley Scott. I haven't seen Napoleon because I'm waiting for the the version that was released to theaters was two and a half hours, but the version that's going to play on Apple TV is four and a half hours. And that's the version that I want to see. Like, I want to see the Ridley Scott version of, right. of Napoleon. Um, right. Well, that, and that movie kind of got panned. Like, I remember yeah. just seeing a, a part of it where they're bombing the mm-hmm. pyramids, and I was like, I, I got I got all kinds of, uh, I was, I literally Googled immediately, the Napoleon bombed the pyramids? <laughs> like, what? This seems ridiculous. Well, that's why they made the movie. It's a little known chapter of history uh, that, that he bombed the pyramids. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it's I, not, I, I not true. <laughs> uh, hey, can we talk, can we spend a minute talking about, um, uh, musicians making movies because like Beyonce and Taylor Swift with the Eras tour being aired like that became a blockbuster hit right what like where does that fit into the genre and what can you tell me about like what does that say for the future of, of performers you know taking their, well, their their act to the stage to you the know, screen they also re-released Stop Making Sense this year uh, and they released it the Talking Heads doc, uh, contra documentary and they released it on IMAX and that did really well hmm. the Taylor Swift thing was just striking when the iron was hot I mean she's on tour the demand is through the roof she's going to be touring through next year people maybe can't see her didn't get missed out on tickets right and so why not go see it at a movie theater where you're going to it's going to feel like a concert and you're going to be surrounded by fellow Taylor Swift fans. Same thing with Beyonce. I know you, you had, you had to, did Connie go see that? Cause I feel yes, like she, she did. She's become a Swifty. She, she, she did go see it and she's a Swifty. Um, I cannot name a single Taylor Swift song, but I'm not Boo. part of her demographic. Um, Boo. and I don't have, uh, you don't have three daughters. Teen, like teenage I daughters. Exactly. Yeah. So like, I don't, you know, 
I'm I'm on the classic rock spectrum. Now. After this, I'm going to grab your phone and I'm going to look through because I think I think that you're lying. I think it's loaded <laughs> with only Taylor Swift songs. Um, but I, but I do find that that's interesting, right? Like that Absolutely. dynamic of of I, I mean I remember I remember seeing um, Hamilton on stage and everybody was singing. Like everybody in the audience was singing because they treated it like a concert. And I imagine with a movie, it's similar. Like people right. want people were getting up and dancing in the aisles with the Taylor Swift. And again, it's about the the experience, you know. And and that's why when people say movie theaters are dying, it's like no, they're just changing because nothing replaces that communal experience. I mean, mm. you can't have that at home. Yes, you can watch the movie at home, but and Saltburn is gone from movie theaters now. So like now, you can only stream it. But watching that movie at the theater, there are certain scenes that come up where you want to watch it with an audience. Uh, we screened it at the Cosford. And um, the audience reaction <laughs> to those three scenes was very vocal, uh, you know, and that's what makes it fun, you know, yeah. uh, it's because it, movies are meant to be seen. Yeah, like I have audience. my, the best movies I have of, of memories I have of movies are uh, the the twist in the sixth sense, mm-hmm. uh, Inception, mm-hmm. kind of like how it concludes, and there being audible gasps, right? You know, like the whole theater doing it, and I imagine some some of that changing night to night. And so people think of movies as a static thing, uh, because you know you think oh, oh theater is the thing where there's a back and forth, but audiences are a living thing. Sure, and and movies are made to be watched with audiences. They're mm-hmm. not made to be watched by now, one person, right? Right, and you know again that doesn't mean that you know. You, you can't watch a movie at home and appreciate it, but um, something like Oppenheimer, I think it's meant, even though it doesn't have big moments, like where the crowd is, you know, watching that on IMAX um, was my favorite movie-going experience of, of this year. And it may have to do with why that's my favorite movie. I don't know. You know was that your favorite movie this year? Was yeah. it Oppenheimer? Yeah, it was Oppenheimer, yeah. Um, How far down that list was Barbie? Barbie was not on my list. Um, first of all, I didn't make a list this year because I don't see enough movies. Mm-hmm. So I feel like, you know, the list. I like Barbie very much. I think it's it's terrific for what it is. It's super enjoyable. It's super funny. It's, it's the best get... version that that movie could have been. Yeah, right. you know, but... Um, yeah, it's not Oppenheimer. It's not Oppenheimer. Yeah. It's not Killers of Flower Moon. It's not even Saltburn. Yeah. Or Poor Things. Or a really quick plug for a movie called Anatomy of a Fall. Which is which came out in in October and is now streaming, and the the premise is very simple. This is a um, it's a, a German French co production, and the premise is very simple: husband, wife, and their son. The son is blind, and he works in the on the shed in their third story uh, level of, of their home, and um, he falls down. He falls off off the balcony. He hits the tool shed on his way down, and he dies. And so it's an accident. It's an accidental fall, and the police start to investigate, and the forensics don't add up. They can't figure out why he would have fallen in the position that he did. So the wife gets charged with murder. That's that's a, a great place to like. No, no, that, for the that's all. No, no, that's all you need to know. And that and that really that um it reminds me of a, a little bit of in the bedroom. Was, yes. Uh, movie back in the day. Yeah. Uh, um, in the last minute, we have t- talk to me a little bit about what's coming up at the Cosford Cinema. Because right, mm-hmm. let's get out, let's get people out to I'm see sure. movies in its natural environment where it should be seen. What do you have coming up at the Cosford that'll get people out? Well, we're actually putting the spring semester to, uh, uh, schedule together. We're going to have a brand new website. Uh, thank you to the Knight uh, Foundation Arts Grant. Um, we have a we're going to have a brand new website that's going to be up on January seventh, which looks super cool. Um, I'm still putting together the program for the Sunday matinees. And um, where can people find that when you have it? Cosfordcinema.com. 
causeforcinema.com. Renee, thank you so much for coming out and, and dropping us so much, so much uh, movie knowledge on us today. Thanks, Carlos. Our guest today was Rene Rodriguez. He's a former film critic for the Miami Herald, and he manages the Cosford Cinema at the University of Miami. And that's Sundown for Thursday, January 4th. Leslie Obaye Atkinson is our lead producer. Our producer is Elisa Baena. Sergio Bustos is WLRN's VP of News, and Katie Munoz is our director of live programming. Peter J. Meritz is WLRN's VP of Radio, and our engineer is Richard Ives. Our theme music is by the Miami Afro-Cuban funk band Palo at gopalo.com. You can download a podcast of this program. Just search for WLRN Sundial on your podcast app. Coming up next week on the program, we're talking about diner culture, the jukebox, the burgers, the fries. Artist John Miller is somewhat of an expert on the subject. He makes larger-than-life diner art, and he has an exhibit opening here in Miami. I'm Carlos Frias. Good vibes only. WLRN Public Media.